Amen. Pastor? Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. We got to stop. Let's take our Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms once again this morning. 
Uh, the 27th Psalm, we're going to pick right up where we left off last Sunday. Psalm 27, the, the 27th Psalm. As we read these, uh, well, as we sing these songs, hear the words, read the Word of God, and get together in the Church of God, it makes me so thankful that we have a living, loving, gracious God. And uh, boys, particularly in the world uh, or in the day and age in which we live. And, you know, as I was reminded the other day, I don't know the day and age in which we, we live is actually any worse than any day and age which uh, has uh, gone by. But uh, we certainly are more aware today of much of the wickedness and uh, uh, just uh, the evil that is prevalent in our nation in particular but you know what? Where sin abounds, uh, grace doth much more abound. And it just gives God that much more opportunity to show us his graciousness and, of course, his power, his miraculousness. Psalm 27, the 27th Psalm, and we read this last week. Let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word. And we're going to look at this this morning once again. The 27th Psalm where the psalmist writes, I think, what a lot of us would be thinking today. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, there's two ways to live in the land of the living. You can live it without God or you can live it with God. Those are your choices. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd be with us this morning. Lord God, that you speak to our hearts, that you would comfort us, Lord God, that you would convict us and cause us, Lord, to make commitments to you as you have been so committed to us. Lord, in your grace, in your enduring mercy, in your guidance, in your leadership, and Father God, the fact that you are unchanging. And we thank you for that. We ask for your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I've called this two worlds, uh, the land of the living and the goodness of the Lord. But really, it's one world, and you can live it two ways. You can live in the land of the living with the goodness of God, viewing the goodness of God, having faith in the goodness of God. Or you can live in the land of the living, the land in which we live, without those things. The truth of the matter is, we are all going to go through hardships. You know, uh, we oftentimes attribute our hardships to being Christians, to being children of God. And we know that that brings about its own hardships. But the truth of the matter is, if you're going to live in this world, there's going to be hardships no matter what. We all have to endure death of loved ones. We all have to endure sickness, not only of loved ones, but of ourselves. We all have to endure the, the breakdown of our bodies. And we've got, to, we've got to endure the world and what the world throws at us. And we can either in, uh, try to endure those on our own. Or we can allow God to guide us through those things. And the psalmist's conclusion was this. He said, as I look around and as I see what's going on in the world and as I see what, know what's going on in my life in particular, he said, I'd have fainted. I'd have thrown in the towel. I'd have given up if I had not been able to see the goodness of God 
in my life. For those of us who know Christ as personal Savior, that is a choice to see the goodness of God in our lives. And a lot of it has to do with whether or not we're serving God, whether or not we are making God the priority in our lives. So as we look at these, uh, look at the, these contrasting views or these contrasting worlds, if you will, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7 challenges us with this. Walk by faith and not by sight. And that's how the psalmist was able to see the goodness of the Lord. He said, I had to believe to see the goodness of the Lord. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're looking at the contrasting comparison between these two worldviews. And we said that there's three things provided or three contrasts provided by these worldviews. The first contrast was this, that the world in which we live, if you live for this world, it's a world of anxiety. It is a world of anxiety. Um, Notice the temptations found in uh, the the psalm here. The psalmist says in verse number one of Psalm 27, He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? So there is that temptation to reverence things in this world and make them the priority. But when you do, oh my, that will cause anxiety in your life. We're not going to cover that. We looked at that. uh, We looked at that in depth last Sunday And you can go back to the YouTube video and review and refresh if you'd like to. But there not only is there this temptation in the world to make the world a priority, but also to be afraid of the world. Uh, The Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist says in verse number one. Whom shall I fear? Well, obviously, the Lord ought to be my priority. That ought to be who I reverence or fear. But then the Lord is the strength of my life. So of whom shall I be afraid? So there is that temptation to be afraid of what the world throws at us. Boy, there's the worry about layoffs, the worry about the economy, the worry about terrorist attacks, the worry about our health. Nothing is sure in the world in which we live in. And we know that your health can change uh, in an instant. From one day to the next, there is nothing secure. There is nothing sure in this life. However, when we look at it through the views of the goodness of the Lord, it is not a world of anxiety, but when it comes to the goodness of God, it's a world of assurance. He is whom we should fear and reverence because he never changes. You notice that throughout your life, even your likes and your dislikes change. As a child, your toys may be your priority. Candy may be your priority. It's funny, though, how certain things as you get older, certain things that you thought were really cool, certain things that you thought would be your life for the rest of your life as as a child, as you get older... They're just not that important anymore. Um, Man, it was just two years ago. I finally gave up my pacifier. I don't need it anymore. It was, uh, 
I thought I'd never be able to live without it. It's been two years without my pacifier. No, actually, it's been a lot longer than that, but I want to tell you something. There probably was a day, uh, and with not all kids, but with many kids, there's a time where you take that pacifier away from them, and it's like you, t- you ripped their heart out. I can't live without it. But as it turns out, we can live without it. No, we can uh, live without much of the things in this world, but we cannot live without our God. He ought to be priority. And he also ought to be our fortification. And uh, last week we looked at all that in depth. I want to, I want to move on to the next contrast. Uh, uh, the world in which we live is a land, a world of anxiety, anxiety. But if we live by faith, God's world is a world of assurance. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the, that God is a God of assurance. All right, let's go on to the next contrast. The land in which we live is also a world of betrayal. It's a world of betrayal. Um, I don't you you know how how frustrated I have been over the last several months with the leaders, not only of our of our nation, but our local leaders, our state leaders, and and just just. There has been so much hypocrisy, and there's been so much to to question uh, about the things that are said, the things that are going on. But the way that the way that I interpret it myself, I hear leaders, and I hear so-called health experts, and and they're telling small business owners for the for the most part suck it up close your business don't worry about your paycheck how selfish are you to think of your livelihood close down go home put on your mask accept your $600 check and shut up and then they'll say this we're all in this together but I want to tell you something. The governor has not missed a paycheck since all this started. Many of these so-called health experts that are telling you, shut up and go home and put on your muzzle, I mean your mask, are getting overtime during all of this. And meanwhile, people are suffering. People are losing their livelihood. People are losing their businesses. Oh, and we watch as dignitaries have their large funerals. And yet if a peasant dies, you better not have a funeral. You better not have a large gathering. Oh, but we're all in this together. If you ask me, that's betrayal. Because our leaders are supposed to work for us. Our leaders are supposed to be serving us. Our leaders are supposed to be sacrificing for us. But what they're saying is you do all the sacrificing. And if you dare complain, 
and go against us, we will fine you, we will arrest you, oh, but we're here for you. And I get so tired of the ads. Call someone because we're here for you. Because they're really not. It's betrayal in the ultimate sense. Yet Jesus says, come and follow me. Here's the great thing about our great Christian leader, the founder of the true New Testament Christian church. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And say, well, why is that so reasonable? Have you looked at the cross lately? He led the way. He gave it all up. And then he offers to us eternal life that we do not deserve the land in which we live is a land of betrayal but thank the lord my hope is not in salem my hope is not even in hillsboro my hope is not in washington dc my hope is not in the senate my hope is not in the house my hope is not in the white house My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And to that, we can all say, thank the Lord. I want you to notice the tactic of the psalmist's enemies in Psalms 27, verse number 2. Psalm 27, verse number 2, where the psalmist says, when the wicked... Even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat my flesh. What does that mean, to eat my flesh? Well, I believe it's in reference to gossip, slander, tail-bearing. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 9, God says to Ezekiel, he says to Israel, in thee are men that carry tails to shed blood. That is, that they are, they are saying things that, that cause war, that cause division, that cause death. Tales to shed blood. And in thee, in Israel, they eat upon the mountains. That is, they slander, they gossip. Telling uh, tales. In the midst of thee, they commit lewdness. In Romans chapter 1, verse number 30. When God's, uh, God's word is naming all the evil that will be in the last days. And he names things like murderers. And he names things, uh, just uh, unmentionable things. But in this list of ungodly acts, in Romans chapter 1, verse number 30, the first one in that list is that they are backbiters. It's funny because backbiting is gossip. And we will we'll preach against murder, adultery, fornication while we are involved in gossip. 
Do you know where gossip is in the list? Romans chapter 1, verse number 30, Paul uses the word backbiters to describe these enemies sandwiched between whisperers and haters of God. It's right up there with people who hate God. Whispers. And by the way, you've heard the, the old saying, secrets have no friends. Whisperers, backbiters, it's all along the same lines. As we go home and, and we start talking around the table about this person and that person and what this person supposedly said and what this person supposedly did. In Galatians chapter 5, verse number 15, Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia, if you bite and devour one another, by the way, this has been going on in churches since the beginning, people biting and devouring one another. Who you having for lunch? Well, today we're going to have roast pastor. Tonight we're going to have roast deacon. And, and tomorrow we're going to have a boiled Sunday school teacher. People that we can gossip about. And people that we can, instead of pray for, talk bad about. But if you bite and devour one another, God's word says, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, you reap what you sow. Mark my words. If you're listening to gossip, you're involved in gossip. If you are, uh, if you are speaking the gossip, you're involved in gossip. And here's the thing. You will, yourself will become a victim of gossip. The Bible likens it to a bunch of cannibals. You start eating your neighbor, your neighbor's going to start eating you. Pretty soon there's, there, there's not uh, uh, enough of either one of you to fulfill the other. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Proverbs 25, verse number 23, because I've heard people say, preach people always come to me and they always share these things with me. You know, there's always that person or those people in the church where you can say, go ask so-and-so, they know everything. It's because so-and-so's got an ear and will listen to everything. And in Proverbs 25, verse number 23, it gives the remedy. Pastor, people, I just can't help it. Uh, people just, they, they tell me this stuff. Proverbs 25, 23, the north wind driveth away rain. So doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. Listen, Display your displeasure at the gossip you are hearing and people will no longer consider you an open ear. Here's the nice thing. Then you don't have to worry about it anymore because no one will come to you anymore. Well, I want people to be my friends. You don't want gossips to be your friends. They're the wrong kind of friends. They'll just get you in trouble. And pretty soon, you'll become a victim because we begin to bite and devour and to consume one another. This should have been the case when Absalom was slandering the king. 2 Samuel chapter 15, we, of course, know the story there. Absalom won the hearts of the men because he would take them aside and he would say, you know, if I was the king, 
I would do things differently. If I was the king, I would listen to your case. And, but, you know, the king, he's just too busy. He won't listen. But I sure would. This is how many churches split. Well, if I was the pastor, and by the way, every single one of us would do things different. We all would do things different. If I was, oh, be careful uh, because you eventually will become the victim. We live in a we live in a world of betrayal, a land of betrayal. Put your faith and trust in God, because the world in which we live is that if that's where your faith and your trust is, if that is where your uh, where your confidence is. Get ready to be betrayed. Man, that song that we sang this morning, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Your silver and gold even will betray you. It'll leave you. Bible talks about how our uh, earthly riches have wings and they fly away. Many have seen that during this pandemic that we are in. Their wealth has flown away. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. And then it says, I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. It's amazing how quickly that, that, applaud, that applause will change to booze. I've been in the ministry for over, well, over 20 years now. And I know this firsthand. People will turn on you in a heartbeat. They'll turn on you. And sometimes all it takes is a rumor. Sometimes all it takes is a misunderstanding. Other time, all it takes is you taking a biblical stand. And people will turn on you in a heartbeat. It's amazing how people have turned on people during this pandemic. People who uh, once loved one another, but now one person's a masker and another person's a, a non-masker, and all of a sudden we hate each other over a piece of cloth that covers your face. I have read many testimonials of people who are now arch enemies because of the disagreement and by the way there is articles people say well people are just denying there's articles that go both ways we are in kind of the land of the unknown here and for one person to judge another over well you're doing this and and by the way uh you know since when has the media known everything? <laughs> I, I, all, all I'm saying is this. Go ahead and, 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 and take, take your stand, but, but is this really a stand worth biting and devouring people over? A stand worth eating one another over? We're talking still of Iris. That has over 99% survival rate. 
Um, it's amazing how quickly people will turn on each other. But all it goes to show is this, that the Bible was right all along. We live in a land of betrayal. Man will betray man. We live in a land where every single one of us are failures in that we will fail one another, which is why we need the grace of God more than ever. I have failed you. You failed me. We have failed one another. Man, I, I feel like in parts of this pandemic, I have failed this church. The, it's, just, uh, it's just one of those things. None of us are perfect. None of us really have all the answers, which is why more than ever, we need to be leaning on this because he's got all the answers and, and, and he knows He's fairer than the lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's, he's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. And, and that's pretty much where we are. Let him lead. Loyalty in this world is often rewarded with layoff. Betrayal. Look at what the psalmist uh, says. I, I, have, I have been betrayed. But verse number 13, he said, oh, look at verse number 12. I'm sorry. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, he says. False witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness of the Lord is not betrayal, it's blessing. And there is the contrast. Let's look at the last contrast this morning. The land in which we live is also a land of disappointment. It's a land of disappointment. Sooner or later, we're all going to experience the disappointment of the psalmist. The psalmist's prayer is a testimony of disappointment in the land of the living. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, hide not thy face from me. If it is man's encouragement, if it's man's faithfulness that drives you, be prepared to be disappointed. And have no man in the land of the living here. See, in prison all alone, being tried for bogus crimes. Paul, in his last letter, said this. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. You know, Paul could have written verse number 13, I had fainted unless. Here I am in prison. Here I am standing for the right things. Here I am falsely accused, he says. And at my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. But then he goes on to say, the Lord strengthened me. Those who would have stayed with Paul, there were some, but they were providentially hindered because of the limitations of the land in which they were living. Timothy was hundreds of miles away. Others were far away. Mark wasn't close by. 
Paul would write and say to Timothy, come as quickly as you can, bring Mark with you. Uh, Others have forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. All men forsook me because of the world in which we live. It's, it's, It's a land of disappointment. Everyone in your life will disappoint you at one time or another. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your preacher will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. You will disappoint yourself. My, there will be times when you wake up in in the morning, sick as all get out, and wondering, what is wrong with this body of mine? I take such good care of you as it disappoints you. It truly is a world of disappointment. Our Lord in despair cried in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 38, and no man heard him. What I'm trying to say is this. Put your faith in God and not in man. Jesus had some close friends in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 38. But the Bible says, then saith he unto them, my soul, his friends... He says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Problem is, his friends had no way of understanding what Jesus was going through. Sometimes you're going to go through things. And your friends and your family, they're going to have no way of knowing what you personally are going through. Perhaps they've never gone through it themselves. Maybe they just can't complete grasp what you're going through. And they'll try to be there, but oftentimes you're going to come to this conclusion. They just don't understand. And sometimes you're right. But that is not the time that you hibernate and that is not the time that you hide and that is not the time that you uh, uh, get out of God's will. That ought to drive you to God's will because he's the only one who does understand. As a matter of fact, we are, we, we are uh, told in Scripture that we have a high priest who is felt by all the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted and always, just as we are, every point in which you and I will be tempted, he was tempted. Everything, every emotion you could possibly go through, he went through. He truly is in it together with us. But as Jesus says, my heart is sorrowful. The Bible says he went a little further and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. A land of disappointment. And every single one of us can think of a time in our lives when we really needed someone. And they weren't there for us. We live in a land of disappointment. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, verse number 13, this is why I would have fainted without God. 
This is why I would have given up. This is why many people without God commit suicide. Because there's just nowhere else to turn. And we live in a world that will try you, test you, give you what you want, then take it all away. It truly is a a land of betrayal. Have mercy on me, the psalmist writes. Put not thy servant away in anger. The psalmist has learned that if mercy is to be obtained, this is not the place to find it. Look at verse number 7 of Psalm 27. Psalm 27. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Why, no one else is hearing. He says, Have mercy upon me. And answer me, why? Because this world is not a place of mercy. He continues in verse number 9. Hide not thy face far from me. Why? Because everyone else has fled from me. Just as Jesus, when he went off a little way and his disciples fled by falling asleep. And then when he was arrested, the Bible says they all forsook him and they fled. The psalmist is feeling the same way. Hear, O Lord, when I cry, no one else will hear. Hide not thy face far from me, Lord. Put not thy servant away in anger. Why, I've made other people angry, and they have no mercy. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Now, we know David has made many mistakes in his life. He learned that man is not forgiving. As a matter of fact, his own son took over his kingdom and drove him out. His wife's uh, grandfather became his son's number one advisor. All people that should have been close to him have turned their back on him in anger. They have shown no grace and no mercy. David made mistakes in his life, but he learned man is not forgiven, uh, forgiving, man is not merciful. You know, oftentimes those you expect to be forgiving are not. David learned man is not the place to go for mercy. When running from Saul, who David had been very loyal to, the Bible tells us that that uh, David went to the Philistines for refuge and it nearly cost him his life. Then he was given a command by the prophet Gad. He said, get thee in the land of Judah in 1 Samuel 22, verse number 5. So God gave him his command. You just go and you trust in me. Well, after years of running from Saul, David, then the Bible says, put his trust in himself. He ended up going back to the Philistines. Disobedience, it caused a great tragedy in David's life. As a matter of fact, it caused a great uh, tragedy not only in David's life, but in the life of all of his men. Remember, they went out, they came back, and all their wives and all their children had been carried away by the enemy. David's own men could not forgive him. They wanted to kill him. 
And the Bible says that David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. David knows what it is to have your closest friends turn on you. For mistakes that he made, but nonetheless, he indicates here in his psalm that even his, even his, uh, his parents disappointed him at one point or another. Look at verse number 10. He says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Here's, here's what David is trying to get us to understand. No matter how alone you are, you're not alone. If you're in God's will. He says, even my parents disappointed me. Every single one of us would have to second that. Man, my parents have disappointed me, but I know this, I've disappointed them. We live in a land of disappointments. The psalmist's conclusion indicates the disappointment in the land of the living. He says, I had fainted unless. It's a land of disappointment, but the goodness of the Lord is not disappointment. It's contentment because of God's commitment to us. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 20. We're going to close with this this morning. John chapter 20 and verse number 29. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse number 29. Thomas was a man who'd put all his eggs in the basket of this life. He did not have the faith that he needed to get himself through a crisis. And so when a crisis came, Thomas was a mess. Thomas was a wreck, even to the point that Thomas was blasphemous. I've listened to many a Christian who at one point were singing the praises of the Lord, but then when tragedy struck, blasphemy. Matter of fact, I've done it myself. Said things like, where's God during this time? Why has God forsaken me? I think we all have. It's a lack of faith. Thomas, during a hard time in his life, went through a time where he, he lashed out in a lack of faith and said this, I'll not believe until I see his, uh, the, the scars in his hands, the scars in his feet. I thrust my hand in his side. I will not believe. That was blasphemous. And yet, Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, his patience and his love, just as he has with many of us here who have perhaps have made similar statements in his soft voice, with his loving arms, the Bible says that he showed up to those apostles one more time and Thomas was present and in verse number 26, the Bible says of John chapter 20, 
After eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. Now, have you ever thought about this? Jesus owed Thomas nothing. He did not have to do this. He owed Thomas nothing. He's already given everything to Thomas. He died for Thomas. He raised again for Thomas. He was tortured for Thomas. He suffered for Thomas. And all Thomas could say is, well, I don't believe it. Well, Jesus is not like us, and aren't you glad? Because many of us, me included, would have said, Fine, Thomas, you've made your bed, you lie in it. You just lay in your bed, the bed of misery that you've made for yourself. But instead, Jesus in his love appears to Thomas and then says this, and I think it was very needful that he said this, because if I was Thomas, I'd be very afraid. Immediately, I'd remember what I said, and I would say to myself, oh, no. He knows exactly what I said, and he's back to set things straight. It would have made a much better movie, but it wasn't a movie Jesus was after. Revenge movies are great, but they're not very godly. I'll tell you what, though, the revenge movie's coming in the book of Revelation. <laughs> but we'll not skip ahead to there. Because right now, Jesus is the Savior. One day, he's going to be the judge. But he walks in, and he says, Thomas, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Peace. Here's a man who didn't deserve peace. But Jesus said, peace be unto you. I don't know if Thomas heard it, but now Jesus walks up to Thomas. Now, can you imagine being in Thomas's shoes? You have said blatantly to the, all the apostles, probably in anger. But you know how we all get we're all brave behind the king's back. Then when we're faced with the king, Jesus walks in and he says, peace, I'm here for peace. And then he walks up to Thomas. And I'm sure Thomas is thinking, did he mean me too? Peace. And he walks up to Thomas and he says, to Thomas, what may, many of us have felt the preaching was to us, haven't we? Every single one of us have been in a church service, me included, when we have guest speakers, think, man, uh, somebody's called this guest preacher and told him to preach all the things that I need. We've all felt like, man, he's preaching right at me. <laughs> Thomas felt like that during this church service. And it was true. Jesus says, Thomas, I prepared a message just for you. And he walks up to Thomas and he says, Thomas, I heard what you said. 
so reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Can you imagine how he must have felt at that point? And my feet and my side. How would you have felt? I know how I would have felt. I would have felt pretty embarrassed. I'd have felt pretty low. I'd have felt like, wow, I was sure was brave before. And now my knees are knocking now. He says, thrusted. And then he says this, be not faithless. Thomas, I heard what you said. I'll not believe. But Thomas, here's the proof. Don't don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now comes the hard part of this message. Jesus says, Thomas, I'm so glad you've been reconciled. But this last week of hell that you've gone through, you didn't have to go through it. All you had to do is believe. How many times have we allowed ourselves to go through a week, a month, a year, a decade of pure hell because we refuse to believe? Can I say this? Peace is in the will of God. Peace is in the word of God. Peace is in the house of God. Peace is in serving God. Many times we get distracted by hardships, trials, tests, persecutions, you name it. And we, because we get out of the house of God, the will of God, the word of God, the service of God, and we use the tragedy as an excuse, but all it does is it causes more hell in our lives. He said to Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen Thou hast believed, but blessed, happy, fulfilled, content. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas would give his life for the Lord. I think he learned his lesson. I think he learned no matter what. I'll faint unless I believe to see the goodness of the Lord. But Thomas during that time couldn't see the goodness of the Lord. Because all he could see was the land in which he lived. The circumstances surrounding him. And as a result, he said this, I'll not serve, I'll not believe, I just won't until 
God changes things. You know, oftentimes God will change things, but he'll allow us to go through, well, the hell that we produce before he actually does. Understand, we live. We live in a world of betrayal. But God's world is a world of goodness, a world of blessing. We just have to believe to see it. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. By the way, faith without works is dead, so true belief is not a profession. It's a practice. My question to you is, what are you practicing today? What have you been practicing throughout this last year? What are you going to practice in 2021? Lord, I do pray that you would just help us to see your grace, your mercy, your love, your blessing. Despite, Lord God, the turmoil that's in our nation today, our nation is run by men. Oh, we may say, in God we trust. It may still be a motto, but it certainly is not practiced, Father God. But it needs to be in our church. It needs to be in our, in our homes. It needs to be among our families. We don't trust in the pastor. We don't trust in men. Lord God, in you, we do trust. Father God, my prayer for this upcoming year is that we would not get discouraged by the betrayal of our leaders. We should come to expect it. But Lord God, that we would put our faith and our trust in the one who's always been there for us, the one who gave us the sacrifice for our sins. The one who said, come follow me, and then gave us the example. The one who says we're all in this together and has become joint heirs together with us. Co-laborers together. Lord God, we can always rely on you. For that we are thankful and Lord, may we commit ourselves to you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.